Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. I'm Jane Bloomfield. I'm Head of Business Development at Cantor. On today's podcast... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Podcast, we're talking about AI. And, and, and really, I think we'll start from a fairly high level and, and you know, what, what's the deal with AI? It's talked about a lot in business and certainly in, in um, the, the marketing and, and insights and advertising and media industries, but, but what does all of this mean? So we've brought in a real AI expert to help us deal with these issues. Our guest today is Yasmin Ahmad, who is the Chief of Staff at Teradata. And we're going to uh, quiz her, I suppose, about all things to do with AI and, and uh, learn about some, some real-world business applications of this. So, Yasmin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. I think, Yasmin, we can kick off, as Andrew said, AI sort of feels like it's everywhere. Um, but if we could kick off with your definition of what do we mean by AI um, and how do we help people understand it a little bit more? Absolutely. For me, AI is a hype term today. We're seeing so many articles, blogs, etc., talking about AI that it's really difficult to peel back the hype and really understand what's real behind the AI term. So for me, you know, many data scientists, analytics um, people will associate AI with just algorithms or specific types of algorithms like neural networks, deep learning, but AI is just much broader than that. So it's not just about technology or an analytic technique. It's also about process change. It's about people. It's about skill sets. It's about how decisions are made in organizations. It's about more automation within uh, those decisions being made. It's a combination of all of these things. 
So I think AI represents a fundamental change in how businesses work, how businesses work both behind the scenes and interface with customers in the outside world. And have you seen different companies and organizations beginning to invest more in AI? We have seen a lot of investment in AI. I think especially when you come up to senior leadership level, they see the AI hype, they intuitively understand that AI is gonna have a big impact on their organization. It's AI is going to be needed to drive efficiency, drive optimization, drive better customer experience, improve supply chain. They know that the, the AI use cases will are either here or are going to come. So they're setting aside investment, they're investing in data platforms, they're investing in tools, they're investing in technologies. But one of the real challenges I see with the customers I certainly speak to is large organizations aren't necessarily seeing the ROI from that investment today. So they have big investments, but it's a lot more scattergun today to try and understand how to build an AI-ready organization. So you, you said there that a lot of these organizations aren't seeing the ROI. Why, why is that? Is it because they've just got a very short-term focus and this is a longer-term impact? So we'll, we'll eventually see it? Or are they, are they getting it wrong? Are they using it for the wrong purposes? Or they're kind of going in blindly and, and actually you know, just pressing buttons and not knowing what they do? Uh, you know, where, where is this sort of not seeing the ROI coming from? Yeah, great question. And I think it's not from one thing alone. It's a combination of different things. So I think there's been a lot of investment absolutely in trying to harness the data and pull together data platforms, essentially, to capture all types of data in the organization. But really standing up a data platform on its own doesn't create value. It's what you do with that data. And so or, that has led organizations to invest in the data science space. But we've seen lots of pockets of investment across the organization. So lots of business teams investing in hiring their own data scientists working in silos really with copies of data. And there, there's not a coordinated enterprise approach to it necessarily. And I think the, the challenge with these silos is great data scientists give them some data they will build some cool models build some cool algorithms but how do you productionalize that at scale you know doing it in a silo means you're working with potentially technology often it's servers under the desk trying to productionalize that becomes really difficult so i think there's a combination of things the investment is there but it's it's siloed and lots of different tools and technologies that are then difficult to productionalize but also it's about the focus you know rather than the focus being on the tools and technologies and the shiny new analytics technique the focus should be on business problems where are the opportunities where are the challenges that um, are can really benefit from from ai and often the the new use case is not it's not something brand new that the business has come up with today. It's actually a traditional problem. It's solving customer experience. It's solving fraud. It's um, understanding how to better communicate with your customers. So those use cases aren't the shiny new, let's detect some 
do image detection or voice recognition, there's more traditional use cases that can also benefit from AI techniques. So I think having that business use case, that business opportunity in mind before you start playing with the technology, before you start playing with the data is essential. And that's where sometimes organizations are mismatched today. Do you have any examples either from people you work with or anecdotal examples of, of where it's been used in a really interesting way? We've seen AI use cases across industries and it does vary depending upon the industry, depending upon which business department is looking at it. Um, but really, I think there's two different areas where AI is being used it's being used behind the scenes with organizations trying to be more efficient, automating their business processes, finding ways of improving their supply chain, et cetera. And then there's like the external use cases, the more customer facing use cases around customer experience and so on and so forth. But really, if I look at some specific examples, AI techniques today like deep learning neural networks where they're having a big impact is use cases where we've now got access to lots of rich data that we didn't maybe have access to before. And now combined, combining that rich data with these neural networks, deep learning AI techniques means we can create value that wasn't accessible before. So I'll use the example of chatbots. This has been a really popular use case across industries. I've personally seen it um, in financial services, it's a great use case because call centers, trying to optimize call centers has been a long standing use case or challenge for businesses. But today we can take the combination of the fact that actually consumers have changed the way that they interact with us. They're interacting a lot more through digital devices. They're much more comfortable to um, not have to pick up the phone and speak to a person, but actually type in their question via a chatbot. So the chatbot becomes a key application that we can actually enable through AI. And actually the AI, the analytics, the automation behind the scenes is good enough that these chatbots can deal with user inquiries, user concerns. They can really handle those customer inquiries. They're maybe not a perfect replication of how a humor, human customer services agent might deal with a question, but they're really getting close in a lot of areas. So for certain questions that customers have for certain queries, that chatbot can take over that conversation, can help the customer, and you don't have long wait times, you don't have to go through a, a huge IVR process when you call up a call center. So you're improving customer experience, and behind the scenes, you're also helping the organization optimize their costs in terms of having humans in call centers, having to have uh, large call center operations and so on and so forth. It's funny that, that you mention uh, chatbots because I think you're absolutely right that it's also a good example of where if the AI isn't good enough, it can really backfire on you from a customer experience standpoint. And so I think sort of embedded in, in that sort of way of thinking is also what you were getting at earlier around, you know, when we think about AI, it's not just about the technology. It's not like, oh, okay, let's, let's buy a chatbot and plug that in and you know, forward our customers to that on a, on a website or an app, but rather thinking about what's that customer experience going to be like, what could go wrong, how do we make sure it doesn't go wrong, 
uh, how do we design the chatbot. So, so at Oxford we're doing some research at the moment actually around should the chatbot have an identity? You know, should we make it like a person? Um, turns out if you do that and customers are angry, it makes them angrier. Satisfaction goes down. So if you're likely to have angry customers talking to your chatbot, don't, don't uh, you know, give the chatbot a name and a face and whatever else is called a bot. But, uh, but I think there's this broader point that you touched on that, that I'd love you to sort of elaborate more on around the people aspect here because there's the customer side and then there's also, I guess, within the organization, um, when we're thinking about AI, it touches all of these human aspects of, of the, the business. So uh, are there some examples you have from, from the work that, that you and colleagues at Teradata have been doing where you've seen exactly that, where perhaps the success hasn't really hinged on the technology as much as it has on, on people aspects? Absolutely. I think the people aspect is hugely important when we start talking about AI because AI is is a concern for both people within the organization and for customers around how they interface with AI, how comfortable are they with, um, with this AI that we're deploying. And I think within organizations, I've seen it with teams I've worked with where they're wary about how AI is going to have an impact on their role, on the way that their department runs, on the way that um, their job description will look like in the future. Will they even have a job in the future? And so that concern is definitely there. If I think about the, the, the marketing function, you know, for marketing, this is a huge area where more AI, more automation potentially means fundamentally changing the role of a marketer. If we look at traditionally how marketing was done in the past, it was very calendar campaign oriented. So we will lay out the number of campaigns we're gonna, going to run this year. We will um, execute those campaigns in a linear fashion. And there's a whole process to go through. We will segment the customer base. We will understand who we want to send this message to. And there was a lot of human involvement in that process. But we begin to think about how AI can improve on personalization Suddenly, we can get to hyperscale personalization where really you can target messages to that individual of one rather than segment of 100,000. And the only way to do that is through AI where you have maybe a template and the AI fills in the content that's relevant to that customer. The AI potentially chooses the channel to which that message is deployed. The AI also chooses the timing for when that message is deployed. And that is actually millions of decisions having to be taken that can only be taken through automation because human-driven personalization just doesn't scale to that level. But that does mean a fundamental change then in the role of the marketer because you're not pressing the button to send out the campaign anymore. But I think the roles of the human change to focus on some of the creative elements much more. So how do we actually take that message and put the creative around that message that might be deployed through our personalization engine. Um, so it's not a case of the human disappearing, it's the roles are changing, the way that AI is impacting people means they might have to upgrade their skill sets. They might have to look into how do they move from doing kind of manual handling of campaigns to now be, being much more focused on the customer relationship. And it strikes me that one of the things that marketers need to be or do more of today is is be very comfortable with 
data and bringing different data sources together and unification of data. Do you find that coming across as a concern for that, for, for marketers, for that group? Do they talk to you about their sort of data challenge? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yes, the data challenges are a huge talking point. I actually gave a presentation at a recent conference of ours and data the challenges around data, data quality, that was a big talking point amongst um, analytics data people. There is a direct link between how good your data is with the, the quality of outputs from your analytics, from your AI. So I think unless you've got good data, you're, you're potentially risking those AI decisions, those analytic insights being wrong. So data is a huge challenge, and I think it's also a huge challenge for organizations today because there are lots of data silos. Every client I work with, organization I work with, large organizations, they have a lot of legacy data systems. And this comes from acquisitions, from mergers, from having grown, you know, naturally grown up as an organization, lots of different business teams, data teams have invested in these data systems, these data silos. And it's really difficult to integrate that data. And if you don't have integrated data, trying to do analytics is much more challenging. And even when organizations have integrated data, there's one team has done it one way, another team has done it another way. And a common concern that comes up from, uh, from the executive level is when it comes to meetings and people present data, there's two or three or five or 10 different versions of the answer brought to the table. And actually executives today are spending more time discussing what's the right answer, which data set is more correct than actually focusing on the decisions they should be driving from that data. So I think at an executive level, it's a concern. I constantly hear about the fact that they need to have more consistency in data so that they can understand if it's correct, is it accurate? Can we rely on that data? Can we rely on the analytics on top of that data to make decisions? Uh, are there some best practices or some good advice that, that you could offer to, uh, to try and maybe speed up that integration issue? Because it, it sounds kind of dull, but it's a, it's a critical factor here. I agree, Andrew. I think it is a critical factor. And let's also not forget the timeliness of data matters. So if it takes us six months to pull together this data and answer a question, 
actually that data that you're working on is now six months old and the insights that you can derive the value of those has the value of those insights has potentially diminished over that time so i think best practice if i can reflect on the organizations that have made the most progress in this space is to really focus on data as a priority so we're seeing a lot of organizations investing in the chief data officer role. You know, the CDO being somebody who is responsible for that enterprise-wide data strategy. How do we integrate data? How do we have centralized data? How do we ensure we've got quality metrics around that data so that when business users come to leverage that data, they can understand where are the data doubts, right? Where are the data issues? Where is the, the data quality of, of this data set I'm about to work with? So I, we're seeing a lot of organizations actually from a strategic level say data is important to us. So we are going to have this role of the CDO. They are going to be responsible for this enterprise data strategy. And we're going to invest in centralizing data to do a lot of decentralized use cases. Right? We want to centralize the data once so that we can feed lots of downstream business functions, business areas, users who then don't have to replicate that work individually. I'd like to turn back actually to uh, or turn to thinking about the, the, sort of the algorithms beneath this. When I introduced you at the, at the, at the beginning of the podcast, I, I didn't uh, mention that you're actually Dr. Yasmin Ahmad and you, you have a, a PhD in um, you know, science PhD, you, you deeply understand the, um, the data science behind uh, all of this technology. So you're probably one of the best people out there to ask about how, you know, let's gaze inside the black box of, uh, of these algorithms. So you might know that, other you know, highly educated uh, and capable experts might know that, but what about the, um, the people who don't? Uh, how can we trust the the black box, and, and, and it's not just about data quality and, and aspects like that, which we talked about, or, or skills, but is there a way to, to make this accessible to people so that they, they at least have some, some trust in the system? That's a great question. I think trust is something that is being spoken about a lot more, especially as we bring in more advanced analytic AI techniques things like neural networks, deep learning. Let me just pause and explain a little bit why I, I think that's the case. So I think previously we, we've been doing analytics for a long time in large organizations. It's not new to us, the analytics field, but if we look at the traditional analytics that we used, we had much smaller data sets and the techniques we were using, decision trees, logistic regression, et cetera, those techniques, it was much easier to understand why an algorithm came to a decision. So you fed it some data, you trained the algorithm, it would make a prediction, and you could understand from the decision tree, what's the kind of rules that went into the decision tree making that decision? You know, if it's fraud, if the transaction was, a great, was greater than a set amount, or it came from a certain merchant or a certain location, the decision tree would say, it's flagging it as fraud. It's predicting that it's a fraudulent transaction. But fast forward to today, when we're using more sophisticated analytic techniques on much larger data sets, actually trying to get the algorithm, the neural network, the deep learning algorithm to explain 
the complex patterns it found to detect and predict fraud is really difficult because actually these complex patterns aren't based on you know single parameters in that data they're based on a, a number of different patterns of behavior patterns in terms of uh, how the interaction took place over time so multiple data points and those those patterns might be there's an infinite possibility of how many patterns there are in that data set so getting the algorithm to explain exactly how it came to the decision that that pattern was fraudulent is much more difficult and i think that's where the trust and the concern is coming in where you don't necessarily have the algorithm explaining how it came to the decision. It's now giving you an answer and it's saying, I predict this is fraudulent and I predict it with an accuracy of 80%, but it's not telling you what's the logic or the reasoning behind the scenes because that logic and reasoning is actually just too complex for us as humans to grapple with due to the complexity. The use of those complex analytics on large data volumes is creating concern around organizations who are especially automating more decision-making. So if I'm automating decision-making, I want to know why and how the algorithm came to a decision so I can be 100% confident that the output is trustworthy, that actually my customers won't perceive that as being creepy or they won't perceive it as being biased or prejudiced in any shape or form. So it is a big concern. But I do think it comes back to the data, right? So algorithms, the trustworthy of an algorithm is based on the data that you feed that algorithm. And to have confidence in the algorithm, we need to have confidence in the data that we're using to train that algorithm. So I think this, the trust issue is linked to the data quality, data accuracy issue, but it's also linked to how we as users of those algorithms then perceive that algorithm. Do we really need to understand how that algorithm came to a decision? There is a whole new field called explainable AI that, is, that has come about, which is exactly focused on this problem of how do we help give marketeers, people using algorithms, deep learning algorithms, AI algorithms, confidence in, in that algorithm's decision. So even though the algorithm can't tell you how it came to a decision, explainable AI is about having actually algorithms working on top of the algorithm to try and understand how it came to the decision, to try and give the user some sort of explanation that um, gives confidence. In AI, we're, we're hearing this concept of humans augmenting the algorithms rather than algorithms completely automating the entire process. And I think that's really important to find in use cases where the balance is. In some use cases, the algorithm could maybe automate the whole process uh, in the supply chain, as an example. But when it comes to marketing in particular, the creative element, I think, is still really important in terms of connecting with customers, connecting with consumers, and so I think the algorithms more so are going to be working in concert with the intelligent marketers who can really bring the creative elements to the table while the algorithm takes away some of the cumbersome um, manual tasks of the past. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.kantar.com 
or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.